You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton from the Big Data Beard Podcast. And uh, today we want to talk about a, a pretty interesting topic. Food production is, is something that I don't think many of us appreciate nearly enough. And it's also one of the world's most incredible consumer of natural resources. And anytime we talk about these massive industries, we find that small improvements in efficiency and operational excellence can have a massive impact. And so that's why we've invited Stuart Bashford, Chief Digital Officer for Buehler, to come onto the Big Data Beard podcast and discuss how he and his team are using advanced technology to drive innovation in this incredible industry. Stuart, welcome to the show. Hey, Corey. Nice to, nice to talk to you. So I want you to do me a favor because I, I was blown away when I started doing research, not only about you, but about your organization. Tell us a little bit about just how big Buehler's impacts are. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, this is one of the things that always uh, always surprises people, and one, you know, kind of one of the things that we always say is that Bula is one of the coolest companies that you've never heard of. Um, and just to put that into context, let, let me give you a little bit of background to to who Bula is and and what we do. So, we are um, fully family owned. We're Swiss based. Um, we have a, a turnover of around three billion uh, three billion dollars a year. And we operate in uh, fully worldwide. We operate in 140 countries around the world, and we predominantly work in the food processing, um, food and feed processing industries. So what that means is we we supply the machinery into industry that would kind of turn things like um, the raw paddy or raw wheat into something that we would use like flour or nice white rice grains. Um, the situations we have at the moment um, that actually to be honest that humanity is facing at the moment is that the um the 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 global supply for food is under immense strain at the moment um you mentioned in your in your intro there that um that the 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 agriculture and the food industry actually uses a lot of um resources and i can put some numbers on that so it you know in if we think of in terms of the cost of putting the food on our plates that we eat, 25% of the world's greenhouse gases is used by the agriculture industry. 71% of the world's water usage is used by the agriculture industry. I mean, that stat alone is incredible. That leaves 29% for drinking and washing, you know, fairly basic things like that. And a third of the world's energy is used by the the, uh, the food industry in order to put the food on our plates. And the absolutely crazy thing about all of this is with all of those natural resources we use, we go and lose one third of all of the food that is that is produced before it even gets to our plates. So, this supply chain—you know—you mentioned it earlier in your intro—the supply chain is is um, is inefficient at best. But uh, but actually, you know, we, we could if it was if it was an, an industry, it it's actually broken. It uh, it requires an awful lot of work to fix this. So there's there's been quite a few um, studies and 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 you know researchers that have started to to create a little bit of uh, I call it fear mongering a bit but I think it's probably reality checking which is are we as a as a as a race of people on a planet based on our current consumption and processes are we going to be able to feed ourselves in twenty thirty fifty years based on our current 
approach. Do you think it's possible? I mean, are we on a path where there's this this massive concern that we that we need to be aware of? Much like the the global warming concern, is there this global food shortage concern that we should be significantly concerned about? We we absolutely should be concerned about it. I mean, you you asked the question um, effectively. You know, are we able? to feed the planet in 2050. By the time we get to 2050, there will be an additional, something like 2 billion people on the planet. Um, now, I just, just gave you the example of the of the supply chain. At the moment, we lose or waste 30% of the food we produce as it travels along the supply chain. And right now, in 2020, at the same time we waste all this food, there's 800 million people starving in the world. So, you know, this this is not sustainable. If if we carry on doing everything in exactly the same way as we are right now, my answer to you would be no, we, we cannot feed the planet healthy, nutritious food that we require. And, that, you know, another issue is is that that point about nutrition. I mean, um, it's not just about volume of food. It's also about the nutri- nu- nutritious content of it. And we've got a big problem with with protein. So at the moment, a lot of our protein comes from things like cows for example now we we basically don't have enough um we won't be able to have enough cows on the planet to be able to feed the planet but by or 10 billion people on the planet if we continue to have a meat-based diet so we need to change a whole number of things you ask the question whether we should be concerned about this i say absolutely we should my follow-on statement would be that digitalization actually gives us um a uh, a lever to to pull on um, to actually be able to make a difference in this regard, and and Bula is well placed to be able to help with this. You know, we are sort of a technology leader in what we do. We're just starting to go. Well, we've been going through what we like to call a, a digital transformation over the last few years. Um, but what we see is, and what what I see absolutely genuinely is that digitalization can make a difference to the food and agricultural supply chain at all points across the supply chain and in answer to the question can we feed the planet in 2050 you know my my personal answer would be um, not if we stay doing exactly as we're doing right now but we have companies that are working at the forefront of technology engaging with um, things like IoT data analytics artificial intelligence blockchain all of these types of technologies where they can genuinely make a make a big difference to this uh, this global issue. Yeah, so Stuart, this is um, Aaron Banks, and I found it like interesting that you're saying that you can use the technology to solve these like problems. So that's great to hear. But I was specifically curious about, you know, you're saying that you're going through this digital transformation, and you yourself are a chief digital officer. So can you talk a little bit about your job and why it's so important for organizations to have a chief digital officer? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's a, uh, it's kind of one of those jobs, hasn't it? That's kind of become, um, I guess, a little bit fashionable over the last few years, and it didn't really even exist, I don't think, sort of five years ago. And and I guess there's a question as to whether it it will exist in in the next five years. Who knows? But um, yes. So Bula started our digital journey about something like about three years ago. Um, and let me just put this into context. What we are normally associated with being is selling big bits of machinery they weigh about a ton and we sell them once uh, on a one-off transactional business model and then we'll we'll offer spare parts and wear parts and service and we are very very good at it you know we have a history of about 160 years and our customers value our products now the point being that if you pick up any book 
on digital transformation, I pretty much guarantee you in the first, in almost in the forward of that book, they will use an example of a, of a manufacturing company trying to become digital. And, and honestly, we could be that company. You know, we are exactly that traditional company who is going through our digital transformation at the moment, trying to, we now have uh, services that we sell to our customers that are purely software-based, for example. Um, and you have challenges of, well, how do you even sell these? You know, it's a completely different mindset. You can't go and, you can't go to a, an exhibition and show off your software solution and expect to sell 50,000 subscriptions. You know, it has to be a, a different type of marketing, different type of communication. So, my job specifically uh, within the Buddha Group is to is to um, lead the digital transformation from a very much a traditional physical company selling big machines to one which is engaging in selling um, what what we refer to as digital services. But this includes perhaps integrating with our machines. So we we have a very close relationship with Microsoft. We started working with them about two years ago, and we use we've standardised. All of our IoT um, IoT sort of services are all completely based on Azure IoT services, and we store everything on Azure as well. Um, and uh, and this this is a big part of how we've got to where we are now. You know, Microsoft have been very. I don't know. You guys probably talk to a lot of other industries as well, or a lot of a lot of other companies. But our our perspective and our feedback on how how Microsoft have, have helped us is that they they really have helped us. I mean, uh, in Satya Nadella's keynote at uh, Ignite, he he spoke about Microsoft's mission mission being to make other make their customers better, um, and that's very much what we see. You know, they put an awful lot of effort into helping us use their products. Um, to use them in the right way, the most effective way, the most efficient way. Um, and at the moment, that's really, really helping us and driving us forward. So let's talk a little bit about some of the specific um, technology uh, or offerings that I, that I we had a chance to walk around and see at the uh, at the Ignite conference a couple of weeks ago. There was a couple of really interesting um I guess sort of uh, anomalies for a conference, right? You don't normally walk around a tech conference and see a as you said, a, a one ton machine that's, you know, eight feet tall, makes an incredible amount of noise when it fires up. Uh, talk to me a little bit about this, the, the machines that were on, on site there. And then specifically, I want to, I want to talk about this. Um, I think it's the LumoVision and the Total Sense products that your team has okay. developed. Absolutely. So, I mean, this, I, I agree. It, it, I mean, you know, as you say, we were at Ignite. And it kind of felt a little bit like we'd turned up at the wrong conference, to be honest with you. You know, we had the, like we had this big machine that weighs a ton. Um, you know, we had this sort of small plastic box, which was um, with the Total Sense product. Now, the reason that we were there at all, um, essentially, is that we are being used as an example of a company that's, uh, I guess, successfully navigating the route from turning from being a physical company into a digital digital company successfully using um, IOT uh, advanced data analytics and these kind of technologies um, in industry now and I think the really important thing the really interesting thing there is we are actually doing it I I don't know about you but I mean I go to a lot of um, a lot of conferences and over the last sort of, if we go back three years ago, everyone was talking about the things we could do with IoT and the things that we might be able to do and we should be able to do. Predictive analytics being the one that everyone talks about. Now, here we are three years later, and it feels a bit to me like 
all industry i think it feels a bit like we need to have some success stories because um i think turning these great ideas into revenue generating propositions is actually taking a little bit longer than than we all want essentially so microsoft asked us to to um present some of our solutions at ignite and we were very 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 proud to do so um so the first machine we have is this this big machine it's uh it's called a LumaVision machine it weighs about a ton and what this does is it's very specifically um is designed to detect a certain toxin in corn um, now what what we mean by this is the corn will come through this machine works at something like 15 tons an hour and it's a shame you couldn't make it to the booth because we, we could have shown you the machine working but when they're working it's it's one of these machines you look at and you say even once you've been explained how it works you look at it and you say that can't work <laughs> so I'll, I'll do I'll do my best to explain it now without having a machine in front of us so what these machines do is we have 15 tons of corn coming in and it slides down a essentially a chute which is just a metal slide as it leaves the end of the chute and it's coming down so fast at this point when you look at it that you can't see individual grains it's just one one sort of carpet of yellow if you like but what the machine is able to do is analyze every single grain and it splits both sides of the grain into about 700 different pixels and each pixel is analyzed for whether it contains the toxin or doesn't contain the toxin if it does contain a toxin it then blasts out that grain of corn with a with a targeted jet of compressed air um, to reject it from the from the stream now why this is and and that's that's cool and when you see it working in in real life it's one of those as i said it's one of those machines you look at and you go wow you know that's that's pretty incredible the reason we designed this machine in the first place is that this particular toxin this it's something called lumavision uh, it's called a uh, aflatoxin um and this is one of the top 10 most toxic substances naturally occurring substances known to man and it's not so much of a problem in the developed world where we have um we have better systems for storage um, and cleaning the grain and also we have better regulations but in the developing world it, it is an issue and um this aflatoxin uh, actually has been traced back to being the cause of around about 155,000 cases of liver cancer every single year um, from aflatoxin and additionally if it gets into the feed system um, so for example if you feed the corn to the animals and then you um, and then you feed the milk from the animals to the children it can cause physical and mental stunting of of the children and and that's um the first thousand days of life are absolutely critical and unfortunately it's completely irreversible at that point so um it's a big deal um i mentioned in the developing world it's more of a problem so in places like kenya for example less than 20 percent of the maize is actually fit for um, human consumption so so it's a big issue um at the moment the state of the art would be to do sample testing on on the corn which is completely ineffective to be honest but it is it is what uh, what happens at the moment um, what our machine can do is it can be inserted into the process line and it can sample every single grain of corn uh, well as i said actually it's sampling every single pixel but uh, sample every single grain and if it detects the toxin it can reject it and it's essentially it doesn't provide it doesn't um, pose any bottleneck to the to the processing line at all so it's kind of transparent from that process so, so this is a bit of a, without without interrupting the process which you said how many tons per hour are you talking about 15 this, tons an hour 15 tons an hour insane. actually at the show we we actually slowed it down because um 
like you say, it's a big noisy machine. So we slowed it down just to make it a little bit more manageable for the show. So effectively, if you imagine, just to put it into context, if you hold a, a one kilogram bag of rice in your hand from the supermarket that you get, and imagine just chopping the bottom off that bag of rice, all the rice falls to the floor. These machines can actually sort it into good or bad before it's hit the floor. That's how quick they work. That's yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, but it's but the impacts I think are even more amazing, right? The fact that you know you put this, if you can get this sort of technology into those developing countries, you, you're not talking about small improvements in uh, in the potential right uh, efficiency of food production. You're talking about massive improvements, right? This is this is incredible. A, this one is thing that, Sorry, go on. Oh, you should say, I was just going to transition. I was going to say that one of the interesting things too is corn is obviously a huge uh, food stuff for, for many people, but one of the largest, you know, kind of grains in terms of uh, consumption around the world is actually rice. And so we, we saw one of the, this, this, you talked about that. We have this big machine, which blows everybody's mind and confuses everybody <laughs> in tech. Like, why is that thing here? Um, yeah. And then you have this little white box where you can put a smartphone on top of it. Tell me a little bit about what that what that device is all about, because that that to me feels like a really interesting use case. Absolutely. So this what this device does is, um, and it's a completely the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, this is a this we just talked about a big machine that weighs a ton. The the other machine, if you want to call it that, that we have here is is a small, essentially plastic box which can be flat packed and sent around the world at, at low cost in fact we, we distribute the box out free um, and what it what it's basically is is a, is a light box that allows you to put some rice into the bottom of the box so you, you you'd be a rice processor at this point you in order to sample the quality of the rice you put your hand into the processing line you take out a handful of rice you put it into the bottom of this box you shut the box up put a smartphone on the top take an image of the rice grains then we send this up to uh, the, the, the cloud, um, we do some analysis on it, and we return a report to the phone, which gives you an indication of the, um, of the broken content of the rice grains. Now, what happens here in a, in a rice processing line, it's you have to, in order to turn it from being uh, the raw product, which is the paddy, into the nice white rice grain that we, we buy in the supermarket, there's a number of machines in this processing line. And each machine does mechanical work on the rice grains and and because you're doing mechanical work it means you will you will break some grains but the game of the rice processing industry is that you want to break you want to get the quality that you need at the end but you want to break as few as possible because broken grains basically you can't uh, you you sell them for about the 50% of the price of a whole grain um, if you're lucky and in some cases they 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 don't always get used so there's a there's a waste side of it there um, and and what, what this allows the rice processors to be able to do is to be able to have a, a, an objective view of their of their rice processing line without having to go to a quality lab. Some people have quality labs in-house in their labs, but some don't. Some people just do it by eye. Um, and I, I have to say, I've been in a lot of Indian rice mills, and these guys, the guys that do it by eye, are amazing. I mean, they, they are incredible at how accurate they can get it. But it's still somewhat of a subjective measurement and um, what, what our solution allows you to be able to do is to get a get a objective measurement you can then track and trend the performance over the year and in fact can even help out with um, with the with your processing your efficiency and things like this so um, again very different product um, but um, but a real privilege to be able to show it at Microsoft Ignite it, it's interesting because I, I, I 
I agree with your previous statement that, you know, I think that at many of the conferences, you know, we, we don't have nearly enough proof points like stories. And that's one of the things that we've been on a journey over the last year of really trying to to engage with uh, organizations like Buhler who are doing interesting work. Um, because I think it is, it's, it's finally true. It's not technology for the sake of technology. It's technology for the sake of real meaningful impacts on the world's industries that are, you know, that are moving all of us forward as a, as a race. And one that I think is even, I guess, topically really interesting beyond just the, the grain production and, you know, helping the, the sorting of, of rice in that, you know, again, to improve efficiencies, but you're actually providing this top level sort of insights platform that, that I think it, from what I read about it, and what I understand, and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more is what is the goal and vision of, of Buhler Insights platform and how is it leveraging some of these advanced technologies to, to really modernize not only Buhler, but your customer success? Yeah, sure. So Buhler Insights is the, um, it's essentially it's an, it's an IOT platform that allows us to be able to connect to all of our machines in fact, we can we can also connect to other people's machines, but the the, the primary goal at the moment is to is our machines, um, and what it does is that the system as a whole allows us to connect to our entire product portfolio of of Buda machines, which is which is vast by the way, because we have I don't know I couldn't even tell you the number, but it's thousands of different machines. We need to be able to connect to them. We need to be able to extract data from them. Um, we need to package it up in a nice secure way, and this all happens on on a gateway that is inside the the plant, our customers' plant. Um, we then send that up to the cloud. We store it in Azure, um, and we then provide visualization either either for our customer to make use of, or maybe we make it available to our data analysts um, to be able to sort of do some deeper assessment of of the data. Now, the the critical thing. Um, for us, the decision we made was um, probably about two years ago was to say that we we needed to have a platform that allowed us to be able to connect to all of our machines, which then moves into very quickly, okay, we need to have standard ways of passing the data, um, storing and structuring the data on the machine. Actually, that's where, that's where this all starts if you want to be able to analyze it later on with your data scientists, um, which is a whole new area for us, actually, um, data science but um, we'll perhaps we'll touch on that a bit later but the Buhler Insights platform will enables us to get all the information from our machines but it also is the backbone of every single digital service that we deliver to our customers so one important part in this is that our customers need to be able to feel um, connected to Buhler what the Buhler Insights pack, uh, platform allows them to do is to actually get more connected with their processing line that's the whole purpose of it so we want to it's like they they were experts on their processing lines before, but it's like looking through a microscope on on times one magnification. What we can bring with Buhler, Buhler Insights is turning that magnification up to times a hundred and being able to look at your processing lines with a degree of resolution that hasn't been possible before. So, Stuart, I was just curious, you know, as you're going through this process and decided that you needed to make this transition from you know physical to digital, I was curious, like, what is the role that security played? in this entire like thought process as you're building out these tools and these capabilities, how are you using um, security in a positive way? And how are you guys thinking about it as, as a organization? So we, so right from the off, we, you know, generally recognize that we cannot, we, we will not do any digital business if, if we do not focus on, on security. So it's for us, it's an absolute prerequisite it, much in the same way, to be honest, as you know, we're a company that makes equipment into the food processing industry, food safety, 
is an absolute prerequisite. We wouldn't sell any machines if our machines posed a food safety threat. In the same way, on the digital side, you know, we won't be we won't be able to sell our digital services if we don't take into account security. So, with that in mind, we we've actually we're well underway in getting ISO 27K, which is kind of looked upon as being the the gold standard in terms of an international certification for um, for security. And all of our, um, I mean, again, this is another reason why you need to standardize your digital solutions right the way from sensor gateway up to the up to cloud and, and servers and things is that if you have a standardized platform, it gives you the ability to then be able to um, track and trace and audit your, your process, which is essential for uh, the ISO 27K um, process. So um, for us, security is uh, is an absolute must. Um, we need to be able to, point one, have a secure system, but we also need to be able to demonstrate that to our customers and, and recognize the fact that their data is important and we need to take care of their data and we need to treat it with the, uh, the respect it deserves. One of the interesting areas of technology that we're seeing used to uh, ensure and authenticate um, uh, compliance or, you know, to authenticate the, the security of a value chain is, is this blockchain technology. Now uh, I, I'll share with you, I'm personally quite a skeptic of blockchain technology in terms of its actual uh, use case uh, application today, but it, but it sounds like you and the team at Buller are actually investigating or maybe using uh, blockchain technologies to move beyond the hype cycle of, you know, where I think, again, we've, the art of the possible with blockchain has been talked about for a while, but do you and the team actually have a real viable use case for that technology in your industry? Yes. So I, 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 I guess I was perhaps equally skeptical of it, um, a couple of years ago, I would say. And, and I, the, the big reason is that when you talk to anyone, as you, you guys do, obviously, is that everyone's working on a blockchain solution and it seems to me sometimes companies they what they say is we need to have a blockchain solution whereas what they should say is we need to have a system that's maybe it's transparent maybe it's fully secure maybe it has a distributed ledger technology approach you know associated with it and maybe the solution is blockchain but but to me a lot of companies are starting out saying we need a blockchain solution which is totally wrong um now what what we are focused on is again i come back to the the food supply chain and uh i, I talked about it earlier the, the the supply chain at the moment in in the food industry is incredibly fragmented there is very little transparency um there's very little traceability at the moment things like food fraud so this is essentially things like maybe you think you've bought some high quality basmati rice but Little did you know, partway along the supply chain, it's been mixed in with some other long grain rice, which has half the value, but you probably won't know. Or things like Parma ham, Parma cheese, um, these are th that don't come from Parma, or even Parmesan, you know, that's been mixed in with other, other cheeses. So these food fraud is a big issue and actually causes um, the food industry or costs the food industry something like 30 to $40 million every single year. Um, another case is product recalls. So if you get a product recall, what happens at the moment is someone usually gets ill. From that point, they track back to the supermarket where they bought the product. And then from that point, they track back the suppliers into the supermarket and they go back and back and back down the supply chain. Now, at the moment, that process um, can take, believe it or not, can take weeks and it can get it's not even very accurate. So what happens is, as you get further and further away from the source of the problem, 
your net where you're looking to, to narrow down is actually getting wider and wider. The problem for the authorities is they have to, if it's a food safety issue, they have to recall all of this food and dispose of it. Now, that's wasteful. If you had a system that could, a trustful system that could track the source of food as it went along the supply chain, um, that you could then um, be able to track back in seconds, not weeks, where it came from, when you have a product recall situation, you can go straight to the source of food and the problem is, uh, is, is significantly reduced. So what we are working on is, is, um, is a supply chain case. We're already working on it with, um, in the UK, actually, with one of the UK's biggest millers. It's a company called Whitworth Brothers. Um, and we're looking at them at the moment. With a, It's a pilot case, but um, we are using Microsoft um, blockchain workbench technology along with our partners, Whitworth Brothers, to be able to track wheat from the farmer to the co-op to the processor and onwards along the supply chain. And the big difference that we can actually add to this whole story is that we can actually start to include process data. So a lot of the blockchain stories you hear about are all about pure supply chain. You know, it started here, went to node A, node B, node C, and you might get some dates, some times, and some additional information. But what you haven't got, of course, which is the really key bit, is the process information. And that's what we can bring because we, we deliver equipment from all points of the supply chain between post-harvest right the way up to packaging. So we actually play a significant role in this food supply chain. Um, and, and, and that is essentially what I think is actually a genuine case for, for a blockchain type application. So the reason why I know I can trust you is because you started with the pragmatic view that is the one that always concerns me, which is everybody says, oh, we need this technology because, well, it's a piece of technology and we just have to solve this problem. And if we don't do it, then we're not cool. And I can't continue being a cool di digital officer if I don't say, well, we think blockchain is the next generation. Like, I trust that you've actually looked at this and you've actually th been thoughtful that it's not the right answer to every technology challenge that faces the world today, that pragmatically it looks like in that value chain from food production to consumption, there is a real trust issue and there's a real viability for that technology that I think that, that is one of those art of the possible um, ideas. And I would love to stay close to the, to the Whitworth Brothers story. I think that's super cool. But you touched on a minute ago that data science is something new and it's part of this um, as, as Buller and the team have gone through your digital transformation, that data science is this new concept idea practice for you. So I'm curious what your, what your data science practice looks like today. Is it you've built this a, a proper data science center of excellence? You've just started tinkering. Where are you in your data science journey and what are your expectations for that practice? So we are... I, we, we're, we're a long way from the, from the tinkering stage. We, we started out probably uh, about, I'd guess, probably about two years, two and a half years ago, something like that. And in fact, our our first interview for a data scientist was, was probably the most easiest interview ever. Essentially, the guy came in, we said to him, are you a data scientist? And he went, yes. And we said, okay, you're in. Now you need to tell us what a data scientist is. Um, so, great. you know, obviously since then, we've kind of learned an awful lot about this whole area. Um, we understand it um, about a lot more about the detail of it. We now have a team of about, um, I think about six or seven full-time data scientists. And we additionally, we engage with, with sort of outside companies as well, which is very helpful for us because essentially, you know, these guys are perhaps more expert at data science than 
than than we are, but we do see it as a strategic um, a strategic thing going forward. Um, things like passing the data from one place to another, so from a sensor or a plant up to the cloud. Whilst we develop these solutions, this is something that will become kind of commodity. Perhaps you could argue it already is a commodity. Um, but the, the data science or the ability to be able to do data science, data analytics, um, this is something that we regard as being a, a strategic differentiator. So we bring this in-house. Um, as I said, we've got a team of seven or eight data scientists now working full-time with within the Buddha Group right now. Next year, we will expand that, and we'll also expand geographically as well. At the moment, our, our data scientists are Swiss-based, but we will expand to London, to China, and the U.S. next year. Brilliant. So we've covered a lot of ground in terms of, you know, how Buller's using, uh, you know, from data science to blockchain, you're investing in building connected uh, smart devices at a scale that I think is just absolutely stunning. One of the things I want to want to pick your brain about a little bit as a, as a chief digital officer, you've got to be looking out, you know, 6, 12, 18, 24 months out. And I'm curious from your perspective, um, what can you share with us about the trends that that you think are going to be interesting as they develop? And what are the areas of technology that that other uh, chief digital officers or even folks that are trying to help modernize and drive digital transformation within their organization? What are those trends that you think are going to be most important in the near and, and kind of long term? So I think um, for, for me and, and for Buddha as a company, the, the real game changer is artificial intelligence. I mean, we we are... We are. We probably are tinkering with this at the moment, but the I believe that the AI will essentially open up whole new areas of opportunity f for us as a company, but it will also do for for humanity as a whole. In fact, you know, I mean, I think the the advances in in compute power that we have, some of the tools that have become available to allow us to to be able to develop the algorithms and the models that that we need um, will actually have a significant impact on on some of these really large social issues that we're talking about. We've mentioned a couple in this interview, like, you know, how do we feed the planet in 2050? Um, in the in the short term for us, um, again, as I as I said with the blockchain example, we 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 are starting to look at, at AI, but we need we always need to have a reason why we're doing this. We're not doing it because it's cool. We're doing it because that you know for some higher reason um so for us the, the short term AI, artificial intelligence is something we we will commit to in the in the medium and longer term and start working on now in the shorter term for us it's all about the, the biggest challenge actually is is bringing our customers on board you know as much as we were a traditional manufacturing company our customers the whole industry you know they're not necessarily completely up to speed with um you know this whole digital this new digital world that we're living in you know the concept of buying a machine or paying a subscription for something you know these are these are new concepts so in the short term what we're all about at the moment is is engaging with our customers helping them understand what the possibilities are helping them understand what the value and benefit is of using these digital services and and of course the real the real win-win happens there when you start to really engage with your customers and they start to say to you what well, do you know what you know we like that product but if you could add this feature that would be a killer that's where the real um the real value is well Stuart, it's been it's been incredible to hear uh from you what your view of digital transformation is how you're driving that journey for Buller, and and, and what is a, a massive industry where 
I'm confident that your team is going to develop uh, technologies and continue to drive innovation that's going to have those impacts to where we can feed ourselves in the year 2050. So I'm trusting that you'll do that for us. Um, but now that we've covered how you're going to help us accomplish that, I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. Our first question is, what year do you think that Skynet will go online? <laughs> oh, maybe it already is. Yeah. That definitely seems to be, I feel like that's the majority. And of, if it was, we wouldn't know it because it'd be exactly, so smart. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't think we're that, we're not that good yet, but that's my own personal opinion. That's, so that's what, just what they want you to think. Yeah, fair. <laughs> that's totally fair. I'll give them that. So what was the last great book that you read? Ooh, last great book. Uh, it's, it's not a great answer. Uh, it's, it's, I've got two answers. One answer is um, a Mr. Man book with my six-year-old boy last night, which is called Mr. Rush, <laughs> um, uh -oh. which is a children's book, uh, which was great, but that was great because my son loved it. Um, and the other great book, I would say, is a book called Sta Startup Nation, which is about how Israel has been able to sort of um, create a vast number of startup companies uh, in an incredibly short period of time. Yeah. And in fact, they are becoming one of the one of the global leaders in AI. And I'll, I shall be I shall be visiting there uh, in a couple of weeks time to go and see a few companies. So it was good research for me. Yeah, a lot of security companies too. Their exactly um, their training has really helped a great a different kind of arena for security, which I'm totally impressed by. So what genre of music are you currently uh, rocking to now? Uh, I it, it hasn't changed, actually, probably for about the last 20 years, unfortunately, which is not a good answer, is it? So I, I'm, I'm English and I like the whole Britpop side of things. So the, 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 the record that I, or the band that I listen to most is a band called the Stone Roses, which were kind of famous about. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say One Direction, but okay, Stone Roses no, no. much better. <laughs> One Direction I haven't got into yet. Give it another 20 years, I might be into that. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be vintage, it'll be cool then. <laughs> it's so funny, we, we went to a, a Cure concert like last year or something, and Robert Smith Ooh. is the lead singer, and his hair is, I'm like, how did he keep it exactly the same? It has to be a wig by now, yeah. I tell you. Like, Yeah, yeah. It's so That's funny. good, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you went. Was the concert good? Yeah, it was good. I mean... Yeah, it was good. I mean, I got I get yelled at a lot because I like to stand and dance, and they were like, right. "You need to sit down," and it's all the <laughs> drama about it. But it it was good. I was impressed. It wasn't too bad considering how many years I saw them like years and like when I was in high school, and that was great. I loved them. Cool. Um, definitely yeah. music I grew up with. So I appreciate Excellent. that. Um, what piece of technology is making your life worse? Well. Probably my, my phone. I mean, it makes my life yeah. better and worse at the same time. It's better because it, I can do all this cool stuff on it, but it's worse because I'm connected to my job the entire time. Yeah. I've been debating lately of like if technology is really helping us or hindering us. I, I probably once a day I'll be like, damn you technology for ruining my life. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, oh, well, think about that. Like the impacts, like we think, oh, Uber's saving the world. It's actually making traffic 160% worse in every city it goes to. <laughs> <laughs> technology is not necessarily making our life better. Yeah, it's actually, the, I think it's moving us more towards, um, did you guys see the Disney movie WALL-E? Yes. 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 We're, we're turning into those boneless blubs that sit in chairs uh, with <laughs> AR headsets on. Yeah. I agree. 
But at least we'll have a Fitbit on our arms to tell us how lazy we've been. <laughs> that's, exact, that's exactly right. We'll have real-time metrics on what a piece of junk we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I already know that. So at least I have a standing desk. I'm in, I've tried to improve it a little bit. Yes, good old standing desk. Um, so on that note, what's your biggest money pit right now? Uh, personally, uh, yeah. my children. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty, pretty yeah. standard. And, and, and specific, specifically, it's they seem to use to require new shoes every two months or something. Yeah, man, I've I've got a four and a six year old, and we have resorted to buying the uh, the low price uh, non name brand shoe from Amazon <laughs> like every three yeah. weeks. <laughs> but you can't get away with that when they get to teenagers. Though. Yeah, I was gonna say. Oh no, they can't. They want the Nikes and the Adidas. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you going anywhere interesting soon? Uh, well, I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to Israel uh, in a couple of weeks on a on a bit of a fact finding mission on um, well AI, security, IoT, startup culture. Yeah. Anywhere else though? Like personally though. Personally, well, I, 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 with all this work I'm doing, it's difficult to squeeze in a holiday. Oh. All right. Well, hopefully, so you can take a wife, couple days. I hope, I hope my wife doesn't hear that. <laughs> editing that's so funny um and what show are you binging on right now uh i it's a slightly um slightly old show but uh it's a show called peaky blinders which is on in the uk i don't know if it's on in the States. yeah it's on uh it's on netflix in the u.s yeah and i'm a little bit is it pretty good so don't, it's brilliant it's really really good but don't give anything away because uh, i haven't i'm not up to date with it yet no. We aren't either. That's one that I've got on my. It's on my watch list. I've heard. I've heard good things about it. We've actually had a couple people mention it on the show. We'll check yeah. it out. Yeah. So I know that you are on Twitter. So do you want to share your um, Twitter handle with everybody? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's sbash nine nine nine. Perfect. Well, Stuart, this has been a, a great conversation. Again, I I appreciate you know learning, like you said, learning about the coolest company that we've that most of us have never heard of, and I think that that is a very apt assessment. Thank you so much for spending time with the Big Data Beard Podcast team, Stuart. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. It would also be pretty cool if you reviewed us in your favorite podcast app. It really does help. Thanks for listening. <laughs>